Tis a midweek edition of Birds 365 here on the Jacob Media YouTube channel. You got your Mac and Mac guys hanging. John McMullen and Jody McDonald. And we're ready to rock for the next two hours. Got two good guests coming away. We'll give you details on that coming up in just a second. Uh, Jenny Mac, I'm still a little bit tired this morning, even though I only had to put in two hours last night on WIP. Because the Philly game took about a month and a half <laughs> because they scored 17. The Phillies scored 17 runs. They won by two touchdowns <laughs> last night. 17 to three. They got the cover. They were 13 and a half point favorites. They Good got, job uh, out of their offense last night. Hey, man, you know, sometimes it's your turn. Sometimes it's your turn in baseball and you break out and all of a sudden the, the tidal wave comes. But, you know, you'd like to save some of those runs. Yes. Maybe we can uh, – you know, if you win by 14, you can carry 13 over. Maybe that'll be a, a new baseball rule. They're they're trying all this wacky stuff. Why not that? Oh, I want to ask you about a wacky thing in, in football, as a matter of fact. I'll get to that in a second. But, yes, uh, you always worry about uh, leave all your hits and runs on the field. They turn around got another game today at 1230 in the afternoon. Never stops. That's the beauty of baseball, man. Momentum. What do they say, Jody? Only yes. as good as the starting pitch. Next day. day starting pitcher. And today for that's Spencer Howard for the Phillies. That I think they can he can give them four great innings, which <laughs> another change in baseball that we don't need to get into. Because we're here to talk. I do want to get into it. Can I get into that for a second? Yeah, I'm go ahead. What the hell? We got two hours. Uh, you know, I was looking at for some reason, I went I was in a wormhole and I was looking up some Not old. It wasn't not, not Twitter. It was a, okay. a baseball statistics wormhole. And I ended up on Catfish Hunter, who had a run of complete games. He had 30-something complete games. And then he was at like 23, 21, like just consistently. And, and by the way, there were guys like Don Drysdale, the same, same way. Unbelievable the way that game has changed. And not for the good. Not for the good. Well, you know I agree with you there, or maybe you don't, but I do certainly agree with you there. Uh, be nice to be a relief pitcher on Catfish Hunter's team when he's pitching. You know, you don't have to show up to the ballpark till uh, 10 o'clock at night because you're not getting in before that if you're getting in at all. Uh, that doesn't happen in Major League Baseball, and yeah, I'm not kidding when I say they'll see if they can get four good innings out of Spencer Howard today because he's on a pitch count and they're not going to The opener, him. Jody, the opener. He's he's slightly more than an opener, but he isn't a guy who's going to fool with. I just hate that. Deep into I, the game. I hate that term. I just hate it. I, I think it was Billy Martin way back with the A's who first started that. Said, I'm going to go with a starting pitcher that goes like three innings. And he was way ahead of the curve, way ahead of the yeah, curve. And no, everybody I... mocked him. Every, yeah, look it up. Everybody mocked him at the time. And rightfully so. so. He stopped it. Yeah. He Billy, only did it for a very short time. Billy and he got Martin, mocked and he stopped. They had, a bad, they had a bad rotation. Billy Martin was much more well known for letting his pitchers stay in game yeah. than he was well, that's, overall. But he did. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look it up right now as you talk. But, uh, yeah, he did do it for a very short time with the A's. I find it ironic that he was the first to do it. He didn't want to do it. He felt he had to do it. But it's interesting how that works out. Because he was the last manager who had 
pitching staffs, not just one guy, like you mentioned, Catfish Hunter, uh, would always pitch deep in the game to get a lot of complete games. Oh, Billy used to use his entire starting staff to pitch deep into games. He didn't like going to the bullpen, as a matter of fact. But we digress on the baseball front. Uh, bringing it back over to football, it is June 2nd now, and Zach Ertz is still here. What the hell? McMullen, you and all your cohorts who cover the Eagles on a day-in, day-out basis who said it's only a matter – it's a foregone conclusion. It's still only a matter of time. I said yesterday on the show, that doesn't mean 20 – June 1st is not a date where people are waiting for it and they have trades in, in, in the you know background ready to announce. You can do that, by the way. You can agree to a trade and say we're going to wait and leak it out. We're going to wait until post-June 1st. But it, it's not it, it's not a deadline like the trade deadline where you have to do it bang at that moment. Moving forward, and this has more to do than just what Zach Ertz, Julio Jones, Aaron Rodgers, anybody else. Even if you want to look at the Eagles, Brandon Brooks, he admitted he was on the trade block. It makes it easier to trade players like that. So it becomes a more viable option go all the way up to training camp what we've said and we've said pretty consistently and i think we're gonna have tim mcmanus on tomorrow he's gonna say the same thing he's not gonna be here we're not you know look both sides understand where we are zach doesn't want to be here the eagles want value for zach Ertz, but they realize they can't bring him back so they can play this game of chicken as long as they want to play it ultimately the game's going to end that's where most of us, all of us, have come down to, and there's a reason for it. Right, but here's here's the rub, uh, the way that you laid it out, and I think you laid it out quite accurately. There's a third party involved in this, and that's the team that Zach Ertz is going to be traded to. It's real easy to say, well, the Eagles can have patience, and Zach Ertz can uh, twist the knife a little bit and make it difficult for him to be here. But at some point, that third party's got to get involved. And if the Eagles really do believe that they have to have and are worthy of getting a decent draft pick in return in a deal, you got to get somebody say yes, that that's okay with them, that they'll give up what the Eagles are looking for. And then on top of that, oh, by the way, I believe they're going to ask for a renegotiation with Arch. They're not just going to take him on with his cap number being what it is and him being a question mark. Now, sometimes questions are answered yes emphatic yeses and maybe he has that kind of season for his new team but he is a bit of a question mark coming off the year to the Adelaide year they're going to want to redo that deal not necessarily extended for as many big bucks as Ertz thought that he deserved prior to this last year from the Eagles but just for cap purposes for his new team yeah I think he's going to have to redo the deal do you think there's any chance he's traded just on the one year left that he's got left on his contract yeah, and I think one of the reasons why people's kind of ears perked up uh, yesterday was Buffalo, because Buffalo needs a tight end. Buffalo's a contender. Um, Buffalo could use Zach Ertz, and they renegotiate, not renegotiated, but they restructured the Stephon Diggs deal, uh, who's their superstar receiver, to get money. So people are saying, hmm, what are they doing? Why do they need money? What are they? What's their plan? Are they going after Zach Ertz? And that's a team where, yeah, I could see them bringing him in for a year at his number. They have the space, and and they could say, look, we're on the cusp of being a Super Bowl contender. 
whether you believe that's realistic or not, they believe it. I think it's realistic. And, you know, you go for it at that point. We talked about it with the Eagles. It's been one of the problems with the Eagles is, is going a little bit too long thinking that championship window is open. But when it's open, Jody, you go for it. And if you need a tight end and Zach Ertz is there, number's not huge. Um, yeah, I could see them doing a mm. year and saying, let's see how it works out. How many tight ends in football are going to count eight million and change against the cap this year? Well, I'm, I, and we're going to have Mike Sealski on uh, in in the first hour here, and he wrote a great column about uh, Zach Ertz and in sort of the end that is about to happen. Um, and he mentioned the league, and it goes back as everything does in this league. It goes back to Bill Belichick and Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. Uh, before his personal life went off the rails and everybody saw what Bill was doing and saying, Whew, you know, if you put two tight ends on the field, if you have two good tight ends like the Eagles had for a very short period of time themselves with Zach and Dallas Goddard playing at a high level, you, you could do a lot of things to the defense. Mainly number one is you can make them declare. And in other words, you can make it easier for the quarterback just by the formation, because, you know, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave a cornerback in there with two tight ends and then you just run the football? Are you going to play big nickel? Are you going to play base defense? Then you just throw the football and you got a Zach Ertz or in the Patriots, you know, Aaron Hernandez against a, a linebacker, and that's an incredible mismatch. So I think the position is more valued, and Mike ended up in Atlanta with Kyle Pitts. You know, these guys are glorified flex receivers, Jody. They're not tight ends, with the exception of Gronk, you know, Dallas Goddard. Those are guys who can play in line. The Zach Ertz of the world, the Kyle Pitts of the world, um, the Aaron Hernandez's of the world, uh, they're flex receivers, and that's what they are, and that's a valuable asset to have in the NFL today. I wasn't attempting to argue with you the value on the field of tight ends. Guys with the proper skill sets and are properly used can be major assets and contributors on the offensive end. I'm talking purely from a cap standpoint. Um, I don't know of any tight ends, maybe Kelsey, maybe Little, that are actually going to carry an $8 million cap hit this year. That all those guys who are Pro Bowls and uh, 70, 80, 85 type catch guys sneaking up on a thousand yard type catch guys. Oh, they're all under bigger contracts, which have been spread out over a period of time. Zach Ertz, if he's counting eight million against the cap this upcoming year, is going to stick out like a sore thumb. You said it's not that big a number. Oh, yeah, it is. I know I have to be more clear. It's not that big of a number for a contender. It is a that believes they're on the cusp of a championship. It, it's a huge, it's a massive number for anybody else because they have no use for it. So it's got to be a certain team. It's got to be a Buffalo-like team. And that's why everybody, as I said, per a little bit up when they saw what happened. They said, what's going on here? Is this what they're trying to attempt? Um, is this what they're trying to do? It's a very finite group of teams that are in that category, no doubt about it. 
But if, if you think you're that close, you're a player away uh, from being a potential Super Bowl contender, I don't, I don't care what position it is. I don't care what, you know, if, if you see a veteran Julio Jones would be, you know, with Seattle, another perfect example. Look, he makes sense for Seattle. He doesn't make sense for the Philadelphia Eagles. Doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, if you're in that position and you need a tight end and Zach Ertz is a little bit more expensive than you would prefer, which I, I would agree with wholeheartedly from a, from a money standpoint, so what? That's what I'm saying, the one year. So what? Go for it here, if here, you're in that position. Here's what I'm saying. I would not be surprised if the Buffalo Bills – talked to the Eagles and said, yes, we'd be willing to give you a draft pick. I think it's going to be a surely a day three pick. There's no way it's getting up to a third. I think it's probably more like a a six and maybe just maybe a five. They should be able to do better than a seven. Um, but it's going to be certainly a day three pick. They'll be willing to give that up. But I think they're going to request to talk to Zach Ertz and say, here's the well, type of deal on we want to do. I mean, do they, do they think – He's a, he's he's a good player. Do they think he has three years left? Do they think he's going to be part of their team in 2022, 2023? Then I agree with you. It depends on the evaluation. If they say eh, we don't we we think he's going to bounce back, but we don't know about him long term. We know this league and and over 30 players and Zach is over 30 now. If they think you know it's kind of shaky. And we'll, we'll see, you know, you, why not roll the dice for a year is what I'm saying. And by the way, if, if in season it turns out great, you could always extend them there and do it that way. My, my point is, my only point is it's not a necessity. It's not a necessity if for a contender that has the budget because they can kick that can down the road a little bit. I don't think it will be, oh, he's got to renegotiate his deal to put the cap number down or nothing. You know, the best offer that the Eagles have gotten for this, uh, for Zach at this point is a fifth round pick because of the contract. And that's from the Chargers, who aren't even a contender. Um, and how he's holding up for more. Look, I don't think he's going to get more than that unless there is a renegotiation. So maybe that enters into play. But again, you're talking about there has to be three parts of this process. Well, that's all wholly dependent on the other team and what they believe Zach Ertz is and what they believe if Zach Ertz is going to be a meaningful contributor to their team for three or four years or whatever. Right. And my read on the situation is Buffalo or any other team is going to want to have the chance to talk to Zach Ertz and say, listen, here's here's the way we look at it. We think you can come in and help us next year. We think you had a down year last year, injuries, eagle issues, that it wasn't all your fault that your numbers dropped off uh, a table. We think you've got some good football left in you. Are we willing to overpay for it this year because – we're just in a big spot of need and we're a team that can compete this year to go deep into the pet. No, we're not going to do that, but we're willing to go along with you and see if you've got a couple of years left 
So we want to do an extension and we want to bring your cap number down. When Buffalo renegotiated Stefan Diggs' deal and extended him, I don't think they did it purely and solely to get Zach Ertz in under their cap. I think they wanted cap flexibility so that they could uh, improve in other areas as well. That's why I think it's key well, for I them and any other team. Jody, I didn't Zach Ertz has got to why they deal. did it. I didn't say that's why they did it. I said it perked up some people's eye and said, what are they doing by negotiating? But Stefan Diggs is actually a, a good example because they didn't renegotiate his deal when he came over to Minnesota from Minnesota, and it was a big deal. Uh, turns out it worked great for him, and he had multiple years on the deal. And by the way, I didn't think it would turn out great, but Josh Allen all of a sudden turned into an accurate quarterback, and it was a perfect fit. Um, so my, my point on that is the back end, well, what can they do? Now everybody's happy. Stephon Diggs is on top of the world. You can restructure his deal then and get some money for something else. I'm not saying it's for Zach Ertz. I'm saying people around the league saw what Buffalo did and said, okay, what are they up to? That's what I'm saying. They need a tight end, and that's where people correlate. Obviously, Zach Ertz would be the best tight end on the market. Doesn't mean they're doing it for Zach Ertz. So uh, let's let's cut to the chase here. Mike Sielski is going to join us in a couple minutes. Uh, prediction time. Will Zach Ertz be traded by the Eagles and just have his contract sent to that new team with that money counting against his new team's cap? Or do you think there is going to be a pre-negotiated Permission given by the Eagles for the team to talk to Zach Ertz. He's already got team... that permission. He's had that permission for months. Okay. His agent has had permission to talk to other teams for months. He's had that permission for literally months. So, yes, I mean, Steve Carrick can talk to anybody he wants and can work out any kind of deal he wants. It hasn't happened to this point because Howie Roseman wants value for this player. Now, his value is obviously it's got to be more than a fifth-round pick. He, he, he Originally, he was saying a third-round pick. We all rolled our eyes. If he's holding out for a third-round pick, guess what? Essentially, he's holding out for an injury in training camp. He's holding out for desperation. He's holding out for the tight-end version of Sam Bradford or Teddy Bridgewater getting hurt right before the season on a team that thinks they are a contender and says, oh, my God, we need a tight end. The odds are not great that's going to happen. Right. So right. The, the game of chicken for Howie Roseman is going to end at some point. But, yes, Steve Carrick has had permission to talk to other teams for months for months and permission is one thing but actually getting a deal done a renegotiated deal done is another and i'm telling you i don't believe there is any team of the 31 other teams that zach Ertz can go to i don't think there's one that would take on zach Ertz without him ahead of time saying i'll renegotiate my deal i don't think well, then take on the back end of that jody then if you're renegotiating his deal down remember value goes up on the back end so if the if the number is better the value is better. In other words, um, it, it, if, if Zach Hurts had a $2 million cap hit, which is, you know, jokey, he's got more value. So Howie could play that route. 
well, you're getting a great tight end. You're getting a great end for a good number. I need a third-round pick. So if, if, I, if I were a general manager in the league and I wanted Zach Ertz, here's how I would do it. I'd negotiate with Howie Roseman, and we would come to an agreement on what the value is for Zach Ertz. If we can't get that done, we can't get a deal done anyway. So you get that done first and then go, yeah, and oh, by the way, I need to talk to the player and come up with a deal with him. And if they renegotiate a deal and Howie calls back, whoa, 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 wait a minute. His value just went up because you well, know. Like, and, and, and now no and we got to get we got to we got to get to a break. Now we're talking about semantics. Now you're talking about so that technically that's after the fact. So technically the renegotiation. The bottom line is Steve Carrick has permission to talk to other teams, and it's been that way for a long, long time, and nothing has happened to do. As uh, John noted, Mike Sielski wrote a great article about Zach Kurtz uh, yesterday in the Inquirer. We'll punch up Mr. Sielski next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. They're strong 
And then there's Army Strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here with you on Birds 365. Thanks for jumping aboard. We must thank for jumping aboard our first guest of the day, the venerable columnist here in town, top columnist as far as I'm concerned. He's been doing it for a while. Uh, Mike Sealski, who covers all things Philadelphia sports for the Philadelphia Inquirer, hops on board with us. How are you this morning, Mike? Doing great, Jody. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, Mike, we want to have you on. Great uh, piece on Zach Ertz, and obviously it is June 1st. Here we are, big date in the NFL. I think people make a little bit too much of it, but Zach Ertz is still here. We've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. Howie Roseman's playing a game of chicken value, and interestingly, your column brought out the value and the value of a player like Zach Ertz that he might have and it all harkens back, as it always does in this league, to Bill Belichick. Yeah, it sure does. First of all, thank, thank you for having me on, too, John. I always appreciate it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think people forget that, right? Like, Philadelphia can be so parochial and so provincial about its athletes and its teams that sometimes we forget to kind of take a step back and look at an athlete's context, right? And in the context of the NFL, Zach Ertz is part of a really important trend that Bill Belichick started back in, what, 2010, when he drafted Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez and said, you know what? I don't want just one pretty good receiving tight end. I want two great ones, and I'm going to put them on the field at the same time, and I'm going to force defenses to make a choice. Do I cover these guys with a slow linebacker or a small defensive back? And what happened? A new trend formed around the league. You started seeing teams draft players like Travis Kelsey, um, players like that. You know, the Eagles draft Zach Ertz in 2013 as part of that trend. He becomes an all-time player for them, catches the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. And then we have the draft this year, and you've got the player who kind of everybody assumes kind of embodies that sort of archetype, who's Kyle Pitts out of Florida, who, you know, it's amazing to me. I've never seen a player evaluated like Pitts, where people are ranking him as a top-five player in the league at his position before he's played a single snap. And I would be guilty as charged there. I think he's going <laughs> to uh, kind of reestablish what the tight end position is in the National Football League. I, uh, let's get you involved in the eh, debate would be the best way to describe it, John and I were having, as to uh, how can Zach Ertz best get out of town? If he wants to get out of town, which I think he's made pretty darn apparent, I think he's going to have to be an active participant. I don't think he can just sit and say, listen, I don't want to be here, Eagles trade me, get me out of here, or release me. I think he's got to work with his new team in negotiating a deal ahead of time to readjust his salary because he's going to cost his new team $8 million on the cap as of right now. Uh, Travis Kelsey only costs Kansas City 7 and change. Kittle only costs San Francisco 5 and change. I don't think there's a team in the league that wants to take on uh, – our guy, uh, Ertz, with his salary at eight and change, I think there's got to be a negotiation done ahead of time. Yeah, you're not. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, you know, listening to what you guys were discussing, I mean, it's it's kind of both sides of the same coin, right? I mean, what Howie Rosen is going to do is he's going to wait until he gets the best possible offer he thinks he can get, and he's going to dare Zach Ertz and Steve Carrick to take a step back and say, okay, it's not happening 
we are the ones who are going to have to change our situation if we want to change our situation, right? So, you know, it depends on how long Zach thinks he can wait um, before he says, you know what, okay, the writing's on the wall. Um, I'm not going to get moved for, you know, the money I'm making now, for the cap number I'm at now. And so I'm going to have to change uh, the situation by renegotiating or doing whatever. I think, you know, the presumption has been that Ertz was finished in Philadelphia has been hanging over this for so long that some of this is just, Hey, why hasn't this happened already? Like we could all see the writing on the wall so early on that it's just kind of taken for granted that this was going to happen. Well, yeah, it, it's going to happen, but it wasn't going to happen yesterday and it might not happen today and it might not happen for another three or four months. So, you know, I think everybody has gotten caught up in the timeline as opposed to the eventuality of what's going to take place. Now, I want to talk, Mike, about, and you brought it up, and you brought up the Super Bowl, and obviously I think that is the height of Zach Ertz's career, and everybody talks about the touchdown. Frank Wright told me right after the game the most important play in that game, which you also had in the column, was the fourth and one, and sort of how Zach Ertz slid, gave Nick Bowles that little bit of extra time and uncleared, uh, you know, Coaches talk about personalities of the game. Jim Schwartz said it was a shootout, obviously. Frank Reich said, we're not winning that game if we don't convert that fourth and one. Flat out said it to me. That's how they felt. Now, you don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe the Eagles come out, Brandon Graham does something, whatever. But just his his imprint on this organization, this is an all-time great player. Is it not? This is a ring of honor guy. This is an Eagles Hall of Fame guy. I don't think there's any doubt about that, John. Um, and I think you're right. I think, you know, statistically, the more important play is the game-winning touchdown, right? And it's the touchdown stands out because of the circumstances, because of, I think, in part, Chris Collinsworth's call, if you were watching the game at home, where he says, uh, look out, Zach Ertz lined up wide, and boom, Foles knows exactly to go to Ertz, throws a perfect ball, hits him in stride, and Ertz scores a touchdown on a play, mind you, in which – he is lined up against a cornerback, Devin McCourty, who he's much bigger than and doesn't outmuscle him. He just outraces him to the spot on the field to get to that pass. But you're right about the fourth down play. That is the most important offensive play in the game for the Eagles. You know, for all the reasons you described, the timing of full, slot, of full sliding and Ertz sliding to get open at the same time, Ertz takes a hit. As soon as he catches the ball, it would have been very easy for that ball to pop right out of his hands as soon as he took that hit and he didn't. And he got just enough for the first down and the drive keeps going. And we all know what happens after that. But yeah, look at the numbers that Zach Ertz put up. Look how essential he was to the Eagles offense for as long as he was. I mean, people forget he had that great Super Bowl. He comes back the following year and has the best receiving season of any Eagles player ever in terms of number of catches, in terms of the importance of his catches. Um, go back to those that three game winning streak at the end of the season that got the Eagles into the playoffs that year. He had a Tremendous game against the Houston Texans, um, you know, a, a big game against the, the uh, Washington football team in the last game of the season. You're right, John. He's an all-time Eagle, and the complaints you hear from people about Zach Ertz, to me, are the kind of complaints that you hear from people who are looking to find fault with a guy during his career, right? It's like, oh, he, he didn't throw that block in Cincinnati in 2016, <laughs> or, you know, he did um, 
you know, oh, well, he, he should come back now and play for his contract. Like, get over it, guys. Like, these are the, the most trite, ridiculous complaints. The guy is an Eagles Hall of Famer and just accept the fact that he was a great player here for a long time. All right, then guilty as charged. I'm going to throw a question or two out there. I'll say sorry, Keith Jackson fans. He's the greatest tight end statistically ever in the history of the Eagles. But you're right, 2017, the Super Bowl, the zenith of his career. 2018, statistically, the best tight end season that any Eagles ever had. 2019, he came back to the pack. I'm, uh, I'll get to 2020, which there are a lot of explanations for injuries to the player <clears throat> being the biggest reason, but there are others, Eagles and quarterback related and play calling and everything else. But 2019 surely wasn't 2018 either. And the thing that I remember most about 2019 and Zach Ertz is coming up just short of first downs. When they needed six on third down, he got five and a half. When they needed eight, he got seven and a half. When they needed three, he got two and a half. He just never seemed to be able. And that, again, is something that you blame on both the quarterback, the play calling, and the individual player. He wasn't near as clutch as he was in 2019. Follow that up with what he did last year, which was a major drop-off. Is Father Time getting the better of Zach Gertz? Is that a big reason why he's going to become an ex-Eagle? Because the Eagles are actually reading the situation right that Zach Gertz ain't what he used to be. Yeah, I mean, look, that's the key question we're, we're all talking about here, Jody, right? Like, that's the calculation that the Eagles are making, um, and it's not the calculation that Ertz and Steve Carrick are making, you know, because their argument is he's going to have a lot of football left in him, and the Eagles are basically saying we can't use him, you know, not at that cap number because he doesn't have a lot of football left. Um, you know, to your point, some of tw the 2019 thing, I would say, is, is nitpicking a little bit, but um, – I would also say that I think th this is the key, like this comes down to not just a question about Zach Ertz, but also Carson Wentz, right? Like as good as Wentz could be in 2019, particularly at the end of that season, he was fairly inconsistent as well. And, you know, I was higher on him back then than a lot of people are certainly in 2020, a different story. He was terrible. Um, but, you know, you can, uh, to me, you can never quite separate the, receiver performance from a quarterback performance and as great as Wentz was in the final four weeks of that season he wasn't as great early on and you know I, I would imagine that had something to do with you know Zach Ertz come you know gaining five yards on third and six um you know and just to bring it back to the Ertz argument go back and look at the NFC championship game against the Vikings you know he makes a number of key third down catches where you know they need two yards and he gets five or six or fights for mm -hmm. first down yardage and things like that so um, yeah, I mean, look, you're right. It's the core question of this whole offseason as far as the Eagles and Ertz are concerned. How much more does he have left in the tank? And that's why we're in this holding pattern is because Ertz is convinced he has more. The Eagles are convinced he doesn't. They got to convince another team that he does. Now, Mike, when we talk about how Zach is viewed, and, and I do want to say I think it's a minority. I think most Eagles fans view him as a great player. I, I think it has to do, my personal opinion, I think it has to do with style. He's not Rob Gronkowski. He's not an old-school Mark Bavaro-type tight end who's going to knock people on their you-know-what. He's a flex receiver. But the game has changed. And you brought that up beautifully with the Aaron Hernandez's of the world, the Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey isn't blocking anybody. Kyle Pitts isn't blocking anybody when he gets in this league, at least the way Gronk does the way old school tight ends do. 
When we talk about Zach Ertz's toughness, though, I go back to the playoffs against Seattle. And I think this is where this disconnect started. He played in that game with a lacerated kidney and a broken rib. And that's pretty tough. (laughs) I mean, he is a tough, tough guy. So to me, it comes down to style and what Philadelphia thinks of itself as a city. You think that's fair? I think that's 100% right, John. I think if if Zach Ertz, if, let me put it this way, if Brent Selleck, with the style of play that he had, put up the kind of numbers that Zach Ertz did, they'd be building statues of Brent Selleck in this town. Um, and Selleck was an excellent, excellent mm-hmm. player and an excellent leader for a long time. But he was not the receiving tight end that Zach Ertz was. For the very reason that you cited, John, that the game changed. Yeah, Philadelphia has that cliched blue-collar thinking that, you know, you do win games with smash-mouth defense and your tight end better block, and when he catches the ball, he better create instant urban renewal, you know, running (laughs) through the defense to to get to the end zone. And that wasn't Ertz. Ertz, you know, could beat a cornerback on a deep route, right? He could – if if you covered him – I always go back – there's – I mentioned the NFC Championship game. One of the standout plays in that game to me is late in the first half, the Minnesota Vikings totally screw that play up yeah. and have Ertz covered by Harrison Smith, the safety. And Ertz makes a double move and ends up – there isn't a Vikings player within 15 yards of him. And that leads to a Jake Elliott yeah. field goal. It's 24-7 at halftime, and the Vikings are dead after that play. That play, as you know, in that game, killed the Vikings. And that's who Zach Ertz was. And so, yeah, I think to your point, John – a lot of the criticism, such as it was, of Ertz during his time in Philadelphia is stylistic. But as I pointed out in the column, that was the way the NFL was trending at that time. As you know, I talked to Mark Dominic, the former Buccaneers general manager. He's like, you don't want a guy like Zach Ertz staying in the block. You're wasting what he can do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think, you know, again, I, I, my feeling is Ertz and, and your point about his toughness with the lacerated kidney and the, and the broken rib is right on the money. I talked to him after that game. And what was interesting to me was he went out of his way to kind of defend Carson Wentz, who left that game, you remember, with the concussion yeah. because of the cheap shot by Judavion Clowney. <clears throat> um, he went out of his way to say, look, the head is a totally different thing. I'm playing with what I'm playing with. But, you know, a guy gets hit in the head, and Ertz had had concussions too throughout his career. Um, that's a different ball game. All right, let me play devil's advocate for a second here. No, uh, you're not allowed, Jerry. Yes, no, I'm going to do it. Uh, get ready for it. Cody's uh, angry I, this morning. What's, that, believe, what's the hashtag? Come at me, bro. Yeah. I, I believe that Zach Ertz will not be an eagle when we get to opening day. But that's uh, not the question I want to ask. If that is going to be the case, have they left the cupboard too bared here? The new NFL, where you need to have... 12 position players to be able to get out there and create mismatches and the like. So many teams going to two tight end looks. Well, the t- two tight end look right now would be Dallas Goddard and who? who who's going to be that other Eagle tight end if his name isn't Zach Ertz? What major tight end move of the Eagles made? Shoot, Richard Rodgers was the next best one, and they haven't even put him back on the roster yet. Where are they headed with this if Zach Ertz is headed out of town? Well, don't you think they're they're headed to flooding um, secondaries with wide receivers now between Devontae Smith and, you know, Jalen Rager and, 
whoever else, I mean, look, you know, Greg Ward might average five yards a catch, but you know, Greg Ward, you know, can get open a little bit in the NFL. I think that's the way they're looking at this. Right. Um, and I think we have to remember what this season is going to be for the Eagles. It is, you know, we can look at the, the, the terribleness of the NS, NFC East as much as we want. The Eagles are still not a Super Bowl contender. And at its core, this is still a find out what you got kind of season for them. Um, all proclamations of optimism to the contrary. You know, I, I listen to, to certain talk radio stations like you guys do. And, and the idea that we're going to push this narrative that the Eagles should be competing for a division championship to me, stri- you know, that strikes me as uh, wishful thinking. Um, given the amount of changes they made and the, the roster, the way it looks. So, you know, th- it's on Nick Sirianni to figure out, okay, is there another tight end that we can use in a different kind of way? Or are we going to de-emphasize the position that Goddard is a bigger, fit, more physical player at the line of scrimmage than Zacherts was? So if we have that, how do we use the other quote-unquote weapons we have, um, you know, to create open looks for Jalen Hurts? Now, Mike, you bring up something interesting there. We've been in this stasis for a couple of years post-Super Bowl. Howie Roseman comes out after the season, says, we got to get younger. We we got to get more cost-effective. Then the offseason goes on. The Eagles start saying, yeah, you know what? This is a bad division. We're a little bit better than people think we are. At least that's the thought process inside the Novacare complex. And they start making decisions about, now, I have no issue with Ryan Kerrigan signing because they got him at a very cost-effective low number. But they're talking about Julio Jones. They're talking about Julio Jones in that building. Now, they're not going to get him, but just the fact that they're saying 32-year-old future Hall of Fame receiver, maybe we're a little bit better. Are they falling down that same rabbit hole again? I think they, they might be, John, um, and to a certain degree, I can't blame them. Oh, right, okay? For, for here's the reason. I was one of their biggest critics back in 2016 um, because I felt like they were trying to have it both ways. They were trying to rebuild and stay competitive at the same time. And I thought, um, you know, it's the old line from the Karate Kid, right, that Mr. Miyagi says, you know, you're going to do karate or you're not going to do karate. You can't walk that line because you'll get squished by a grape, like a grape. And it, it worked out for them a year later, right? They signed these mm-hmm. veteran, veteran guys like Rodney McLeod and Brandon Brooks, and they waited to trade Sam Bradford, and they, they traded him. You know, they, things broke right, and they were able to trade him for a first-round pick, and Wentz was able to come in and play pretty well right away, and boom, a year later, they're winning a Super Bowl. Um, and I'm, I'm generally of the mindset that the, the NFL isn't a league where you have to necessarily break it all down and build it back up again over a long period of time. And even if you try to do that, you might be able to turn things around relatively quickly. My issue with what they're doing now is, given where they're at, they're not going to they're not going to turn themselves into a Super Bowl contender in a year's time. Um, and the and the winning the division thing, winning the NFC East to me is just fool's gold, right? You're doing that because you want to get a playoff game and you want to be able to say you got to the playoffs by going eight and nine in a terrible division. And I can't believe I just said eight and nine <laughs> for an NFL season. I really got to get used to that. Yeah, um, we all do. We all yeah. Do. You know, th- that's the thing, right? Like they swung, they, they went, they, they swung for the fences with Wentz and they connected for a short while and they were able to parlay that into a Super Bowl. They're not doing that now. So the idea that you're going to, 
you know, try to walk that line again and kind of rebuild, but kind of win the division. I don't think the benefits of the of the going for it, so to speak, are as great as they were five years ago. Mike, something I was going to bring up with John a little later in the show. We can do it now so I can get your opinion on it. Uh, we don't know about Nick Sirianni here in Philadelphia. <laughs> just yet. We could judge what he did last year in, in, in Indianapolis in conjunction with Frank Wright and draw some conclusions over setups and, and play calling and systems and the like. They weren't afraid to run the ball in Indianapolis. I wouldn't say they were a run-heavy team, but they weren't a off-the-charts uh, run-pass ratio, roll-in-your-eyes type, got to throw it on every single down that from time to time we'd see here in Philadelphia, Andy Reid directly into uh, Doug Peterson. Um, who's going to – we know Miles Sanders is going to be the number one guy carrying the football for the Eagles when they run it this year. Who's going to be that number two? Good question. You know, I think Boston Scott showed enough that you can give him the ball here and there. He can, he can be fairly productive. We'll see what some of the rookies do. Um, but I think I would take issue a little bit with your point about Sirianni running the ball in Indianapolis. Nick Sirianni and Frank Reich weren't working for Jeffrey Lurie in Indianapolis. <laughs> Jeffrey Lurie likes to there, throw Michael. the ball. It's yeah. just the way – that's what he believes in. You know, it's funny that – I was looking back at some old columns I'd written during the course of the 2020 season. And um, after the first game of the season, that loss at Washington, where the Eagles had the 17-point lead, and then it all went to pot really quickly. Oh. I wrote a column criticizing Doug Peterson because he didn't, you know, he didn't take his foot off the gas pedal, right? Like that's a game where once you're up 17-0 on Washington and Dwayne Haskins is the quarterback and there's no fans in the stands – Run the ball three times every single time you get it on offense and you'll win the game 17 to three and everything will be hunky dory. And the only way that you can lose that game is by having a quarterback, you know, spray the ball all over the field and throw a couple picks and give the other team momentum. And I criticized Peterson for that. And that's fine as far as I went. But what I should have done is criticized the Eagles way of thinking because yep. that's what Peterson was following. That's what Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman want. They want points. We're talking about an owner who, according to my colleague, Jeff McClain, after the Eagles beat the Bears in the playoffs in 2019, won a road playoff game in an upset with a terrific defensive performance, was dismayed because the game wasn't exciting enough. The team didn't score enough points. That's who the owner is. And so we can talk about Miles Sanders and Boston Scott and rookie running backs all we want. They're going to want Jalen Hurts to throw the ball, and they're going to want Nick Sirianni to be creative in his passing attack. That's just the way they are. Yeah, and when Jeffrey won the Eagles upset Green Bay and Green Bay, same thing. Exactly, John. Same thing. When and and the interesting thing about Jeffrey Laurie, Mike, is you go to the Super Bowl, we'll go to the Super Bowl. He was angry at Jim Swartz. Jim Swartz was in a bad mood for a reason. He wasn't <laughs> happy after he won the Super Bowl because they didn't do it the right way. Yeah, yeah I mean, it is a style very points seem to matter. Yeah. yeah, style points seem to matter. And I, I wonder about that with Jeffrey sometimes. Like, does he appreciate how hard this is to do? You would think he would. I mean, he's owned the team yeah. for more than a quarter century and won only one championship. You would think he would understand, like, dude, if you won, be happy that you won. But, you know, it I is style a brilliant point, And it explains a lot of things when it comes to Doug Peterson and throwing the football. And, you know, the NFLs, by the way, I think, as a base assessment, I think Jeffrey Lurie is right about the NFL, but at the end of the day, it's about how do you get to that finish line? You should be happy. And 
if Miles Sanders gets 150 rushing yards and you win a game where Jalen Hurts is 15 out of 20, Nick Sirianni's going to hear about it. it. It's funny, John, to bring it, um, to take it out of the realm of the Eagles. I feel like this is a discussion we're having in sports all the time now, whether it's the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. Like, how do you balance the short term? success and what a team needs to do to win a particular game or a particular set of games versus what they do over the long term, right? It's the Ben Simmons discussion in the NFL. What's more important to the Sixers? Is it that Ben Simmons makes those free throws in the final two minutes? Are they ever going to be able to win a championship if an opposing team knows that they can just foul him in the last two minutes of the game? Or do you accentuate the positive with Ben Simmons and say he's a great defensive player, he moves the ball around the perimeter, he can lead a fast break, he's 6'10", and can do all these things. Um, that's the debate that's taking place throughout sports, and the Eagles embody that as much as anybody. Do we want to throw the ball all the time to the point that it's going to cost us a game, like, and, and several games maybe, but particularly like one against Washington, or are we going to accent more than just in certain situations, you got to win the game the way you got to win a game. And if it means... Craig James breaking up an Aaron Rodgers pass at Lambeau Field. Be thankful you did it, and let's get on to next week. My answer is you can do both. Those who say you can't do both are just flat out wrong. You can emphasize the positive, but certainly note when something isn't up to snuff, despite what Doc Rivers says. Uh, let me get back to Jeff Floyd. We were talking about uh, him and his outlook and the influence he has on the team. He's the guy who said this year is a transition year. That wasn't anybody else. That was the owner. He decided to go down that role and hole when he decided to remove Doug Peterson. They have changed. It's a brand new coaching staff. The way of thinking will change. They've made some big moves to the roster and the like. In this transition year, Mike Sealski, who will be the guy or what will be the aspect that we, and when I say we, I mean you, me, Johnny Mack, the media, and we, you, me, Johnny Mack, and the rest of Eagle Nation, who is going to be missed the most in this transition year? Who will be calling me on Sports Talk Radio going, you know what I missed, Jode? And they roll uh, out a uh, carpet for something that used to be the Eagle way. Who's that person or um, way of doing things going to be? That's a really interesting question, Jody. Um, I wonder if Doug Peterson might be that guy. Um, because I think what's happening with Sirianni is the same thing that's happening with the Eagles writ large in the offseason is we're so distant from the season beginning and we're so distant from the season having ended that we're kind of extrapolating and, and assigning qualities to Sirianni that we don't know whether he has yet. You know, the, the, there's a, a great distance now from the uh, opening press conference he gave, which was so bad and got people so worried. And, and we've moved on from that, you know, rock, paper, scissors is endearing now. Um, you know, it could come a time in October where we're like, gosh, remember, you know, Doug Peterson, man, he just, he could design an offense and he could get guys open for a while there. And, um, what happened, you know, where did that go? Yeah. Um, you know, I do think there's the potential to say, Hey, remember when we had Carson Wentz in 2017? E remember that? I'm not suggesting that Jalen Hurts can't play. I don't know whether Jalen Hurts can play or not. I don't know. Um, but I do think it's easy to forget how good Wentz was in 17 and for parts of 18 and 19. Um, and so that's a possibility, right? That the, the, the lens always goes to the quarterback first and foremost. And yeah, 20, 2020 is going to be fresh in people's minds. 
But if Jalen Hurts isn't coming out and setting the world on fire, there are going to be people going, hey, you know, maybe we made a mistake yeah. here. I don't know. Mike, that's where I want to end it. Before I do, I want to thank you for joining the program. I also want to bring up your book, uh, The Rise, Kobe Bryant, The Pursuit of Immortality. When is it coming out? Everybody should read it. Everybody should read Mike's columns. But So tell us about that. And also, with Jalen Hurts, you know, I've said this with Deshaun Watson potentially out there. Um, who knows with Aaron Rodgers? Who knows with Russell Wilson? I ask a lot of people this. Is there anything Jalen Hurts can do for this team this season if one of those guys become available to stop the Eagles from going in that direction? Yeah, he can have a uh, terrific season. Um, he can have a season, maybe not an all-pro kind of season, but he can show that he's a more than capable starting quarterback. And, and John, I would argue if he does that, the Eagles should not pursue Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. I have come around to the idea that if, if teams are smart, and, and, and you have to look at this purely from a football winning standpoint as opposed to a, if we have a star quarterback, we have more attention drawn to our team, we sell more merchandise, it's better for the franchise if we have a Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, a Sean Watson kind of guy. Keeping a quarterback on a low-cost rookie contract and building around him might be the best way to go about building a championship team. It's what the Eagles did in 2017. Um, it's, it has allowed other teams without good quarterback situations to stay in the hunt and make the playoffs. I point you to the Washington football team last year, which basically had the three of us play quarterback for them <laughs> and still made the playoffs because the rest of their roster was so good. Um, so that would be my position there. I, I think you're probably right. There may not be anything that can stop the Eagles from going after one of those big name guys. If they become, if one of them becomes available. Um, but yeah, that, that would be my, my take on that. And thanks for mentioning the book, um, the rise it's um, it's coming out January 11th. Uh, it's, it's a look at Kobe's the first half of his life. So his career and life at lower Marion, um, his life in Italy a little bit, uh, his leading Lower Marion to the state championship, kind of an underdog story, run up to the draft, is entering the NBA, his identity as a black teenager in a suburban uh, Philly community. Kind of the, the, the elevator pitch I give for it is it's Batman Begins for the Black Mamba. And uh, yeah, January 11th, go, go to Amazon now. You can pre-order. That sounds uh, outstanding. And by the way, I thought the three of us played quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys when Dak <laughs> Prescott went down last year, but that's just my evaluation. Uh, Mr. Sielski, always a pleasure. Good to catch up, buddy. You know, we'll be tapping into you again in uh, the next couple of weeks. Thanks, pal. Thank you, guys. I hope to see you on the trail soon. You will Thanks, Mike. do just that. Mike Sielski here with us on Birds 365. All right, come back. I, I do want to get that uh, question out for John. I asked Mike. I, I was thinking about the running game, and I appreciate Mike's way of looking at it, we are talking about the Eagles in a Jeff Lurie-owned organization. It's a very good point. Very good they're, point. They're going to run the ball some. Now, how much is that going to be? Well, we'll see. And who is it going to be if it's not Miles Sanders? I want to get Johnny Max thoughts on that next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. 
Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. John McMullen, Jody McDonald's, a.k.a. Mac and Mac. A.K.A. Birds 365. Appreciate you punching us up here on the uh, Jacob Media YouTube channel. Still got an hour to uh, shoot the breeze with you, mostly birds related. Coming up about 20 minutes from now, we're going to have a fun guest. Uh, John was able to procure the time commitment from Amy Trask, uh, who is doing analyst work for CBS these days, is on their TOPS program, which is the other pregame show which is on their cable outlet uh, rather than the uh, network crew with uh, JB and Bill Sims and Coach Cower and the like. Uh, but she does a real nice job. I've uh, certainly watched that show. My buddy Brandon Tierney was also part of that show for years. Um, so I've checked out plenty of tops, and Amy's very good on that. Former CEO of the uh, Oakland slash LA Raiders. I'm trying to remember what time frame. She might have done both towns with Al Davis 
back in the day, uh, was uh, the top-ranked official on uh, the female side in the history of the National Football League. We're now getting women move up the uh, personnel side as well, and that's something we're going to talk about with Amy Trask when she joins us about 20 minutes from now. But do you want to ask John McMullen about the Eagles and their upcoming running game? We- Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Super Beats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Choose Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. He have not been able to see exactly what the Eagles running game is going to look like. We don't know what Nick Sirianni's play calling is going to be here. We know what it was in Indianapolis, but as uh, Mike Sielski and uh, with John's uh, concurrence uh, under Jeff Lorry, that can be a totally different thing and a different uh, idea and set of mind as to how to be able to move the football. I'm intrigued by the Eagles running back situation as of right now. I think Miles Sanders could be sitting on a big year. Uh, a lot of people critiqued his game last year. Johnny Mack included. I would oftentimes be surprised that that he would correctly point out the shortcomings, kind of like us pointing out that Ben Simmons can't make foul shots. Uh, a guy you really like, but you yeah. don't want to even acknowledge that there's some holes in his game. And that was the year last year for Miles Sanders. I think he'll boast a, bolster those holes this year and be that much better. But somebody else is going to play. Nobody's a bell cow back in the NFL anymore. You need a minimum of two, if not three running <laughs> backs that you're going to lean on during the course of a game. Eagles got enough in the backfield this year after Miles Sanders, Johnny Mack? I think they do. But uh, what they've done is they've taken a lot of flyers, a lot of lottery tickets, and they have a lot of bodies, and they're kind of crossing their fingers that one of them stands out. We've talked about competition. You know, to me, it's a little bit overblown uh, by Nick Sirianni, but not at certain positions. Uh, and and one of those positions is running back too. I, I mean, the, the last pick I think everybody forgets about already is on Johnson. Now, I don't know if he's healthy, but that's a, a former second-round pick in Detroit. He can do the things that Miles doesn't necessarily do that well. He's a very good pass protector. He can catch the football out of the backfield. To me, he fits in perfectly as a third down back if if the knee holds up. They brought Jordan Howard back. Now we saw 
what he was the first time in Philadelphia. Um, they had a nice little thing going, Jody, and with that thunder and lightning with Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders during Miles' rookie season. And a lot of people forget Jordan Howard had overtaken Miles Sanders because Miles struggled early in his rookie season. Then Jordan came in and played lights out, and he was the, the starting running back, and then he got hurt, and Miles was able to come back in and sort of take off himself. Um, so does Jordan Howard have anything left in the tank? Didn't look like he did last year, to be blatantly honest. Boston Scott's the incumbent. You, you know what he can do, what he can't do. He's a little bit undersized. They bring in Kenny Gainwell in the draft. You can catch the football Played a lot of, of, of split out wide. We talked about interesting, intriguing ways to use tight ends. Well, what Memphis would do with Kenny Gainwell, split him out wide as a receiver all the time. So he has some natural ability in that aspect of the game. Point is, I think one of them will work, at least to a degree where you could say it's pretty good compliment. I'm hoping it's on Johnson. That would be, I think, the best case scenario because I don't necessarily think Kenny Gainwell is going to be ready uh, from day one to be a massive contributor. But if worse comes to worse, Boston Scott uh, is, is probably, um, you know, the floor of this situation. And you want to improve, but if you don't improve, it'll probably be okay. Right. And the first thing you have to establish is health. You mentioned Kerryon Johnson and his health. He has to be healthy. Otherwise, uh, he's not going to be part of the mix. But he is easily the most intriguing prospect for me because we all like to uh, play amateur general manager when it comes to the draft and thereafter. And I'll be honest, I did not think Kerryon Johnson deserved to be drafted as high as he did. I thought it was a reach when the Lions picked him. And he gets into the league, and he's actually putting up numbers and making plays and establish himself as the lead back in Detroit. And I had to admit to myself, damn, you didn't think you should have gone in the second round. I know you You said it on the end, McDonald's. Now you can't jump on the bandwagon and go, oh, you saw on Johnson coming the whole time. No, that was not the case. And then he had some injury issues, and he didn't play quite as well, and the Lions turn around and draft DeAndre Swift in the second round, who I thought was a first-round talent. So I went from thinking the Lions had overdrafted a running back to the Lions getting a steal of a value as far as running back goes. And he is the reason why the Lions are uh, uh, no longer in possession of on Johnson. I know. Coaching change, potential philosophy change, that probably had something to do with it, but I believe that they acknowledged this year and found out, okay, DeAndre Swift is the best running back we have in camp, and we need to go forward with him, so that's why they moved on from on Johnson. At times, in Detroit, he was an RB1, not an RB2. He was a guy who looked like could be that main running back in a running attack, so to get a guy like him with his skill sets if he can stay on the field, I would call him the leader in the club. If I'm just looking into my crystal ball and guessing, not that I don't think Kenny Gainwell could be a major contributor here rookie year, but they don't usually push that envelope that fast with a day three pick. I think on Johnson actually has the chance to be the best compliment for <clears throat> Miles Sanders this year. 
Yeah, I think um, from a skill set standpoint, you're you're correct, Jody. My concern is the health, and there's a reason. I mean, nobody knows better than Detroit. They had him in the organization. You mentioned DeAndre Swift. They also went out and signed Jamal Williams from Green Bay, and that was uh, the situation. Now, he was a nice compliment to Aaron Jones with the Packers, uh, so he's a good player. He's that second running back out there. Now, the problem is, See, from my standpoint, when I'm playing amateur GM, I say, well, Kerryon Johnson's perfect to be that running back, too, because of what he does well. And he, you know, pro football focus uh, had him as the second best pass protecting back in the NFL. He can catch the football. So my question is, why are you looking to upgrade from that other than, well, his knee is messed up? And the first thing carry on says when he comes here is yeah, I'm going to wear the knee brace for the rest of my career. Now, maybe it's a comfort factor. That's the hope. Maybe it just makes him feel better, but I'm kind of worried about that knee situation. Uh, and I think there's a reason Detroit moved on from a cost. Remember rookie contract, very cost effective as well. Uh, it doesn't make sense to me unless there's another part of the story. And maybe it is. Maybe it is just the new coaching staff didn't like him. But as a complimentary back, why wouldn't you like him? That's my question, and and that's my concern. I think he's got a chance to fill in nicely here if his health is what we hope that it is. Um, I did want to bring this up. I thought we might get it in at the beginning of the show. We didn't. We started talking Zach Ertz and got Sielski up, so we didn't get to it. Uh, I saw the story last night. And shame on me. I somehow had missed out on the fact that this was actually a proposal brought to the National Football League. I don't know about you. Have you watched any spring football yet? Mm. I didn't watch it. I knew it was on. And, you know, it was a rainy Memorial Day weekend. So I'm sure I was in the house. I can't remember. But I completely forgot it was on. I probably would have turned it on uh, if I remembered just to see what was going on. But I completely forgot. Completely. It was, I believe, on uh, the Fox Fox, Network. I believe, yeah. But uh, cable, not 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 actual. I think Fox. it was on actual. Fox. You think it was on actual? I Fox? think I'm not a hundred percent. I I completely missed it. I'm saying with you, uh, didn't know it was on. Forgot it was on. I was on Fox, but probably on FS2 because they have horse racing over the weekend. So might might have had to check out a stakes race from Aqueduct or from Belmont, excuse me, this weekend. Um, but I know of the spring league. I just haven't had a chance to check it out yet. I did not realize that they have a new overtime rule. And we've all heard about uh, suggestions and proposals that have been been brought to the NFL on overtime and how the best to do it and going for it on fourth down to eliminate the uh, onside kick and the like. And I always get a kick out of these proposals because it makes you think and it makes you imagine something new. I had never heard of this. And apparently they've implemented it in the spring league. And I flat out love this. Let me lay it out for you, John, and get your take on it. Uh, Game ended the other day, tied at the end of 60 minutes, so they went to overtime. The rule is this. One of the two teams, and I don't know how it's designated, if there's a coin flip or if it's the visiting team versus the home team, but one of the two teams gets to designate 
where the ball is going to be placed to start the overtime, a.k.a. the 20-yard line, the 28-yard line, the 42-yard line, the 8-yard line. You can choose wherever you believe that the first drive of overtime should start. And then the other team gets to decide whether they're going to get the ball or the other team's going to get the ball. You can either choose to take the ball first, depending on where it is situated, or you can choose to play defense first. And they play an overtime period of seven and a half minutes, no matter what. Doesn't matter how much scoring is done or how little scoring is done. The overtime is seven and a half minutes, hard time. In this particular game, uh, Jerry Glanville was a coach. Man, I, I missed out on seeing Jerry on the sidelines. I don't know if no, this no. was the TV game or not, no, but no. this this is the one that went to OT. Um, and they decided to place the ball on the eight-yard line. And the other team decided to let them take the ball, that they'd send their defense out. Well, they got to stop. So the first team had to punt the football. The other team got it, took it down the field, scored to go up by seven points. Glanville's team got it back, moved it a little bit, but then one, two, three, out, a fourth down and out, and they just ran out the clock after that. But the strategy of where you're going to place the ball and whether you're going to take the ball first or you're going to play defense first, to me, is just tremendous. And if I were a broadcaster in that game, if I was the analyst, man, would I have a field day second-guessing the coaching decisions uh, that are made before the overtime even starts. Boy, I, I love I, this. I, I got to tell you, I, I, I'm complete. Now, I admit I'm an old-school guy. I, I just want a coin toss. I want sudden death overtime and be done with it. That's what I want. I'm, I'm not getting it. I, I realize there's a new generation of people involved, but just the time you took to explain that, Jody, is the indication of why it's it can't work. The NFL is too popular for gimmicks. They don't need gimmicks. Now, maybe other sports, and I've criticized, you know, I've joked about hockey might put out a shootout with clown masks to, 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 to get a win. Baseball putting people on second base to end extra inning. No. No, if you don't like the game, don't watch it. But don't bastardize the game. That I, I, no, I, and and literally, I mean, I I should have started the clock on how long it took you to explain that rule. Now I'm not I, criticizing I you. I could have done it no, in 45 no, 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 seconds no, no, if no. I wanted to. No. But I just wanted no, to be no, no. as I'm thorough saying, as possible in explaining it to people I'm because I you, think there's a lot to it and I think it's great. I'm saying if you have to do that, it's a bad plan. I'm not criticizing you. I, I say this with European soccer. Our, our friend Kevin Kincaid's a big soccer guy. I said the big issue with, with soccer in America, people say they don't like the sport, they like it everywhere else in the world. People can't understand it. They can't understand the transactions, not the game. They can't understand how you get players. They can't understand the treasure. The, the, when you think make things more complicated, the NBA is talking about a tournament in the season, a European-style soccer, soccer tournament in the season. People don't want to have to be given explanations of what the heck is going on. Anytime you got to go down that hole, I think it's a bad idea. I really do. And when you're popular, like the NFL, uh, let's be honest, Jody, 
these people watch whatever the hell they throw out there, whatever the hell rule. They don't need gimmicks. They don't need gimmicks. They don't need to go down that road. They don't. Well, I think this absolutely works. You can call it a gimmick if you want, but at the end of the day, it's making a key decision as to whether you want the ball first. And by the way, coaches want won't want that. First. Coaches won't want that because they don't want the question. Well, I got so coaches. The coaches. Uh, sorry about that. That's why you get paid the big bucks is to suck it up and deal with the pressure. Yeah, you got to worry about of, their mental oh, health. they don't want to be pressurized. You got to worry about they their don't mental want competition. health. That's why I love Nick Sirianni because he's in the competition. No. And he's going to base everything he does on competition. You got to worry about their mental health in press conferences, Jody. Stupid, just stupid. And oh, by the way, you're woefully wrong about soccer and why uh, soccer doesn't no. uh, work. People in can't understand the truth. You are woefully wrong. There they is one understand. reason and only one reason above all others why soccer hasn't Scored? become the most popular sport in this Scored? country like it has everywhere else in the uh, world. One nil. That's it. You don't no. need to go any further than that. Two well, games and I mean, one we gotta, we gotta nil. Take a break this is a country that wants offense and scoring yes, and excitement and uh, light up the scoreboard. One nil. Way too many games end up with that score, and that's why. Well, America if you want to go, out. really, it's indoctrination. If you grow up with it, you love it. If you don't, you don't. That's that's what it really is. But that's a deeper conversation. Yeah, well, we got to hit a break in case Amy pops up. I don't even buy that because uh, there are a lot of soccer moms out there taking kids to uh, soccer games when they're wee little lads, both boys and girls. And then uh, when they get old enough, they realize, yeah, we don't score enough goals in this game. All right, uh, coming up next here with us on Birds 365, Amy Trask is going to join us, former CEO of the Raiders, I believe in both Oakland and L.A., she'll confirm that for us. New trend in the National Football League? Yeah, it's becoming a woman's world. We'll talk about that with Amy Trask next here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say... But as I always say... It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest... Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. 
IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here on Birds 365. Appreciate you tuning in. We're going to get spend a couple of minutes here talking with a forerunner in the National Football League. Forerunner as far as women in important positions. She did it with the Raiders for years. She's now doing it for CBS on their coverage of the National Football League with a couple of different outlets. Amy Trask joins us here on Birds 365. Amy, thanks for a couple of minutes of hopping on with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me to join you. I'm a fan and it's my pleasure. Uh, Amy, I'm thrilled. And by the way, Amy's a West Coaster, so she's up at 620. So I really appreciate uh, joining the show anytime somebody from the West Coast. We get up early, but that's above and beyond. So thanks, Amy. Uh, Catherine Raich, I want to get in. Obviously, Kelly Klein in Denver. Uh, you were sort of the forerunner for females and positions of power in the NFL, becoming the CEO of, of the Raiders in uh, I think late 1990s, correct me if I'm wrong, but why do you think it's taken so long? And, and when you look back at your career, how important has this offseason been to the empowerment of women in the NFL? Well, I did join the rate and, and I am smiling. Thank you very, very much for your gracious words. Um, when People note how long ago I initially joined the Raiders, which was in the mid 80s, I think, Wow, that's a really polite way of saying how old I am. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for the very gracious and generous um, comments. I appreciate that. And and I guess I'll answer it in reverse order. It is, of course, very exciting to see progress, to see development. But what's truly going to be exciting is when stories like these are no longer newsworthy. In other words, when everyone, every business hires without regard to race or gender or ethnicity or any other individuality which has no bearing whatsoever on whether one can do a job, that will be truly, truly exciting. And I don't in any mean, you know, I don't want to take away from the excitement of the current moment, 
But let's get to the day where this is no longer newsworthy, where businesses do what they should and hire people without regard to these individualities which have no bearing on whether one can do a job. And Amy, I hear exactly what you're saying, and I do want to give uh, due cause and time to the transformation that we're seeing in the National Football League. But I got to go backwards first. Al Davis from afar, and we're East Coast guys. Uh, Al Davis, actually a Brooklyn guy. My father used to brag that he used to light up Al Davis in grade school basketball (laughs) in their Flatbush Brooklyn day, as a matter of fact. So Al was a New Yorker, but transplanted out to the West Coast. And his persona was what his persona was. Open-minded and all-inclusive wasn't necessarily what I thought of when I thought of Al Davis. Yet he selected you to be his CEO. He was the guy who was the forerunner to allow us moving, at least starting the the direction in the right direction years ago. How did you work that out? How did that happen? Well, you're absolutely right. And look, there will be people listening to this who are Raider fans and people who are Raider haters. Hey, Philadelphia, I know what it's like back there when we came to play you. So I know the level of passion. And I'm saying that with a big, big, big loving smile on my face (laughs) for the passionate (laughs) Eagle fans. But there will be people, you know, listening who love the Raiders, who hate the Raiders, who loved Al, who couldn't stand Al. But if we're all being intellectually honest, will agree on that which you just noted. He was decades and decades ahead of others in this. He hired, and I'll do this in order chronologically, not in order of importance, but he hired Tom Flores to coach the team. He then brought me in as an executive, and ultimately I worked my way up through the organization. Sorry, I didn't start as an executive. He brought me in, and I worked my way up through the organization. He then advanced Art Shell from a position coach to head coach. So he did exactly what we're discussing. He hired without regard to race or gender or ethnicity, and he was ahead of his time in so doing. He was a visionary, and I'm a beneficiary of his vision, of his open-mindedness. So for you Raider haters and you Al Davis haters, I think you got to give a nod to that, that he was doing this long before others were even discussing this. Look, men, when I started my career in the league in the mid-80s, and I went to that first NFL owners meetings, and I walked in the room, I was the only woman there. So we've come a long way. As I said, it's going to be truly exciting when exciting moments like you're experiencing with the Eagles and, and in other teams around the league do this, and it's no longer newsworthy. So, Amy, you bring up a good point, though. When you walked into that room, uh, not everybody was as forward thinking maybe as Al Davis. So how difficult was it at time to be in a man's world? How many hurdles, uh, how many issues did you have or were you accepted? Kind of tell us how that that went for you. Well, the stone cold truth, and I just love that expression, so I use it, is that I didn't think about it. I never spent a moment thinking about my gender. It never made sense to me, it still doesn't, that if I want to walk into any setting, uh, any meeting, a, a meeting with NFL owners, a meeting with league executives, a meeting with Raider team ownership, with players, with coaches, with bankers, with municipal leaders, with anyone, 
that if I don't want them or I expect them not to, or I hope that they won't be thinking about my gender, for me to be thinking about my gender. It just doesn't make sense that if my expectation and my hope is that no one's going to be thinking about the fact that I'm a woman in the room, that I should be thinking about the fact that I'm a woman in the room. I mean, look, I'm asked all the time, do I think I was tested because I was a woman or was I tested because I was a woman? And the answer is, I don't know. Let's assume I was. People are tested all the time. We are tested because of our race or our gender or our age or our seniority or our educational background or our ethnicity. And I know this, the best thing to do when you're tested is pass the damn test. So I spent my time thinking about my job and doing my job. And if other people wanted to waste their time thinking about my gender, have at it. Waste your time. I'm not going to think about it. There were plenty of people that may have thought about it. There were plenty of people who didn't think about it. I didn't waste my time thinking about it. Good for you. All right, Amy, I'm going to take you back again a little bit. We have acknowledged that Al Davis was ahead of the curve and he was an open-minded individual, even though that wasn't always the persona he put out through the media, more of a kick, uh, you know what, and take names <laughs> later kind of guy. Today's NFL, 2021, this offseason, we're seeing Aaron Rodgers try and talk his way out of Green Bay and Julio Jones doing the same down in Atlanta and uh, at least uh, opening the door for Russell Wilson in Seattle, questioning certain moves that the organization is making. During Al's day, that didn't happen. Players didn't dictate what was going to happen to them. They signed contracts, they played for their teams, and the team made the decision how long they'd stay with that organization. How would Al Davis have handled the NFL in 2021 with the way things have changed? Well, a couple things. Number one, it happened more than you may imagine. You're absolutely 100% right. It didn't happen to the extent it's happening now. It did happen to some extent, but the difference is there was no social media, no Twitter. I could go all Bill Belichick and say there was no snap face. Um, but there was no Twitter, no Snapchat, no Instagram. Um, players didn't have the ability to get their message out so on such a broad, immediate platform on their own, you know, media was much more constricted in those days and messaging was very, very different. So it did go on to some extent, not the extent it's going on now. People just didn't know about it. You know, players didn't get off a plane doing a TikTok or, you know, off the team plane or on the team plane or sitting in the office, putting something on Instagram or Twitter. Things were handled very, very differently. How Al would have handled it? would have depended in part upon the player and how the player handled it. There were times he was very, very didactic with players and it was the team's way or no way. And there were other times, public's probably not aware of all the times, that he was much more um, malleable and willing to compromise and, and find ways to work things out. Well, Amy, to follow up on that, I'll ask, how would you handle these types of situations? I mean, you were in this league as an executive, I think, through 2013. So that doesn't seem like that long, but technology advances. You mentioned the TikTok, the Snapchats. That continually moves forward. Um, when you have this player empowerment type, uh, uh, I don't want to call it a, a, a a theme, but it's certainly more part of the industry. And, and how would you have handled this type of situation today? 
Well, I'll use the Aaron Rodgers situation as an example. Um, and, and, and by the way, I grew up in the league. I worked only for one team. I grew up from the time I joined in the mid-80s through when I left in, in 2013, as you noted, working for a team owner who said to me from the time I started through the day I, you know, he passed away, the players are the game. And there was, you know, and, and he was right. Without players, there is no game. So people can look at them, and some team owners do, as fungible. We never did. Um, and I'll go back to using the Aaron Rodgers example. I think the four most important words in business are communicate, cooperate, collaborate, coordinate. And I'll focus right now on the word communicate. I think things really became problematic when Green Bay didn't communicate directly and in a forthright manner and give Aaron a heads up that they were going to take Jordan Love. I'm not criticizing the selection of Jordan Love. The team did what it believed was in its best interests. But pick up the phone and do what Kansas City did with Alex Smith when Kansas City had Alex on the roster and knew ahead of, well ahead of time that it was going to choose Patrick Mahomes should the opportunity arise. Kansas City let Alex know, look, this is what we're going to do. And they trusted him to keep it confidential, which he did. They trusted him with the information, and he was very, very judicious with it. He didn't let it leak. But he knew what the team was going doing. You know, players are human beings. To quote Al, the players are the game. They're human beings. Um, they shouldn't be treated like assets or like cogs in a machine. So I think where Green Bay went off, you know, went off course was not communicating in a forthright collaborative manner with Aaron. So I would have started in that manner with, with letting Aaron know, this is what we're going to do. Here's why we're going to do it. Recognize you may not love it. We're going to try to fill in the other positions that you believe we need to fill in to make our offense better in a different manner. This is our plan. Amy, our fellow media member, Peter King, as respected as there is in what we do, NFL media. Um, wrote part of his column this week about Roger Goodell's successor. I think it is amazing that from the minute uh, someone like Roger Goodell signs his contract, people immediately want to think about, well, who's going to be coming up after him? Uh, what are we going to do after uh, the contract runs out? The ink isn't even dry on the contract, <laughs> and we're already deciding what's going to happen after the next contract. But we're in that situation with Roger Goodell again. As someone who was around the league, dealt with as many people as you did, diverse groups that you did, what kind of job do you think Roger Goodell has done since he's taken over as commissioner? Do you think that he will walk away at the end of his contract? Uh, or do you think Roger Goodell's still got years left to be in the commissioner? Well, I don't know what Roger's going to do at the end of his contract, and I'm not going to speak for Roger. I grew. I, I, I will speak to the, to the man I think Roger is and the job he's done as a commissioner. I grew up in the league with Roger. We both started in our respective league careers at about the same time. And, and so I've known Roger for about a billion years. I think he's done a tremendous job. He's, he's done a tremendous job in many regards, but let's just focus on the last year and the pandemic, what he was able to do in terms of leading the league through this moment in time that I don't know about you, but I certainly never envisioned living in a moment like this and to lead the league through it with the success he did, I think is tremendous. And I think a lot of businesses, not only in this country, but around the world could take a lesson from the manner in which he led the league through the pandemic. I don't know if he'll choose to stay. I do know that he's done a very, very good job from the perspective of all of, of, well, I shouldn't speak for the owners, but it certainly was my perception when I was in the league that everybody thought he was doing a tremendous job. That's always been my perspective and it remains my perspective. 
Amy, I know you got to run. I want to uh, thank you for joining us this early out in the West Coast. Uh, Brentwood, I believe you're still in Brentwood, right? No, I'm not that. You, boy, wow, you do your homework. That's where I grew <laughs> up. But first of all, I love getting up early, so always happy to join you. I just like to tease in my tweets, and I've always been a brat about this ever since my first year in the league, where every single memo we got, every single everything we got was on New York Times. I would always <laughs> respond in California time, like, hey, yo, 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 we got our own time zone out here. <laughs> So even though I tease about California time, no problem whatsoever. I am on the Venice Canals down here in Venice Beach, California. So as I speak with you, I'm watching the ducks and the geese and all the birds fly around. And I'm happy to get up and join you. Really delighted and and thrilled you invited me to do so. I just like being a brat about the time zone. (laughs) Well, I do want to ask you, in 2019, this is impressive. I mean, if you think about it, uh, it's the 100th anniversary of the NFL. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. And they named you as one of the greatest game changers in NFL history. So while, while I know, and we started this call, and you want to get to a point where it's not newsworthy when someone like Catherine Race gets promoted here in Philadelphia. Um, do you ever look back at your, your, your history in this league, your imprint on this league, and say, wow, look at what I've accomplished? Or is it always looking forward? A um, couple things, and let me start by offering my hearty, hearty, hearty congratulations to Catherine. When we were talking earlier in the show, and I was saying how exciting the news of her promotion was, but that I hope we get to the point where it's no longer newsworthy when these things happen. I should have at that point shared with you what I have shared publicly a number of times, which is my hearty congratulations. Um, the second part of your question. No, I don't think about that. That's just not the way I look at life. I don't think about that. But I will tell you, and I'll share this special moment and be very candid with you. I was not aware that honor um, was coming. I didn't know that I was going to be included in that group. And when I got word of that, someone sent me an email saying, hey, guess what I just saw on TV? You were named this. And I looked it up. I actually started crying. I was so overwhelmed. I mean, I was just so overwhelmed. And the first thing I did was call my husband on the cell phone and I was crying and I was choking out that I had been named to this list. And all I remember him saying is how wonderful that was, but don't ever call me sobbing again. I thought someone (laughs) died. (laughs) It was um, very, very special that they named me to the list and I appreciate that. And I never saw it coming. And again, we appreciate uh, you for getting up early, doing this. No, New York time, California time. Uh, (laughs) It's been a great conversation and a lot of seriousness. So I think we need to end on this note. Did you ever tell Al Davis's son that he needs to get better haircuts? (laughs) It might be the worst haircut in all of professional sports. Did you ever have nerve enough to do that? I know how much nerve you got, Amy Trask. Did you ever have nerve enough to tell Mark Davis how bad his hair was? I think you know that I went to law school, so it will not surprise you that I'm going to plead the fifth. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. Amy, thank you very much for getting up. Uh, Since we know you're willing to do so, we will tap into you for your expertise again down the road. Thanks for doing it. I'd love to, and thank you. That is Amy Trask, uh, the first ever CEO, female CEO in the history of the National Football League. Al Davis promoted her <laughs> decades ago, and she stayed with the Raiders for many a year in their front office uh, and uh, knows her football inside and out. We didn't we talked more about uh, front office uh, way of doing things and the advancement of women. 
Oh, we can talk just X and O's with her, too. We will do that when we get a little closer to the season. We can get her back on. That would be with us, McDonald and McMullen, the Mac and Mac guys, here on Birds 365. I get scared sometimes. Of a lot of things. Joining in. Decisions. The dark. The dark. But I once heard someone say. But as I always say. It's okay to be afraid. As long as you face the fear. And keep moving forward. Wherever you are in life, count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross. Ah, the savoring taste of a good bag of beef jerky is so enjoyable at any time of the day, as long as you can find it. Here's what we suggest. Pure Bull Beef Jerky is our answer, and soon it will be yours. Locally produced in the Philadelphia region, this high-quality, healthy protein snack is easy to secure. Go to Steersnacks.com, and you'll see hot garlic, tropical heat, Pure Bull Dry Rub, and our favorite, Huck and Fod. What's that? Huck and Fod. Go now to Steersnacks.com. Welcome to the Wildwoods, the perfect place where you can safely do everything or nothing at all. Catch a wave, take a nap, go for a drive, grab a bite. It's your vacation, and we're doing everything we can to make it a safe one. The Wildwoods. Your vacation, your way. The International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Union 98, is a proud sponsor of The Labor Show with J. Doc and Krause every Saturday night from 6 to 8 p.m. IBEW Local 98's highly trained and superbly skilled electricians are the best in the business, setting the highest safety standards in the electrical industry. So when you're planning your next industrial, commercial, or residential project, choose an IBEW Local 98 union contractor. Learn more at IBEW98.org. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. This is a key. It's a family tree. It's a pair of wings. It's a secret handshake. And a ticket to anywhere in the world. It's more than a uniform. It's the door to a world most people only dream of. There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com. Mac and Mac guys here with Young Birds 365. We've got 20 minutes to kick it around here today. Uh, thanks again to Amy Trask for hopping on board and talking about uh, all things football, including the advancement of women. She was a major forerunner on that front, uh, and we're now seeing it all over the football, National Football League, including right here in Philadelphia. So we do appreciate Amy coming on board uh, with us. She did a great job. She uh, was a tremendous executive. She's a good guest, too. Uh, so, yes, we will get her back up again. 
I, Johnny Mac, uh, timing is everything in life. Uh, we talked at the top of the show about the Zach Gertz not, trade not having come down yet. And we all knew that it probably wasn't going to happen. If it was going to happen until after June 1st because there were cap implications involved. And we'll see if it happens today or tomorrow. Well, no, we continue to wait for something to happen. I do want to touch on something else you mentioned earlier in the show, and that was the Brandon Brooks trade conversation that someone got a hold of him this week. I give him credit. I forget who it was, so I apologize. Uh, about Brandon actually acknowledging the fact that he was none too pleased that his name got kicked around during this offseason. The Eagles at least investigated what kind of interest there would be in a Brandon Brooks if he were on the trade market. He said some really smart things and uh, showed Philly some love that he has no desire to go play anywhere else. That always scores points with the fan base. People in this town love when the players talk about how great Philadelphia as a city is. Um, he's not going to be dealt either. He wasn't going to be dealt before June 1st. And I don't think he can be dealt if he's going to be dealt. Not, not saying he should. I'm just saying there have been conversations along those lines until he gets out there on the field and shows that he's at least for the time being put his injuries behind him. Let's say that transpired. They get him into camp, no issues, no problems whatsoever. He plays a preseason game or two. Do you think the Eagles would actually trade Brooks before the season starts? I don't think so, to be honest, Jody. I mean, uh, you know, he wasn't upset about his name was in trade discussions. He just kind of said that uh, he wished he didn't – he wish he heard it from the Eagles. That was right. the only part he was upset about. And he heard it through his wife and, you know, who read it uh, online somewhere. So he, he understands it's a business. To be honest, I'm, I don't know why the Eagles, you know, tried to trade him or, or even talked about trading, it, it doesn't make much sense from uh, a cap perspective. Uh, and as you mentioned, there's not going to be tremendous value because his contract is astronomical for an offensive guard, number one. Number two, he's got, you know, the injury issues. So there's not going to be tremendous value. So uh, the common sense thing is to let it play out and see what happens this year. If he's healthy, great. Uh, if he gets back to the level he was before, even better. And then you're not talking about trading him anyway and all this. And then we get into the age and the post 30 conversation we always get to. I, I do think, you know, we talked a little bit with Mike, Mike Sielski about this team going down this rabbit hole thinking, you know, starting the offseason one way saying, okay, transition, get younger, rebuild, cost effective, whatever term you want to use. And then as they move on, they start to think, you know what? We're a little bit better than the Peter Kings of the world think we are, than the power rankings of pro football focus think we are. And, you know, the main reason the Eagles think that is because of the offensive line. And they say, well, if Brandon Brooks is healthy, if Lane Johnson is healthy, if Jason Kelsey can give us 16 games, all big ifs then we're, we're going to be pretty good because not a lot of great offensive lines in this league. And if you can block people, you can win some football games. Kind of always two different messages coming out of the Novacare complex. Like if you think you're better than you are, 
then why are you talking about trading Brandon Brooks? Because you ain't better if you're you're losing that offensive line. Right. And this also ties into something uh, you said earlier and asked of uh, Mike Sealski when we had him on. What can Jalen Hurts do to procure the going forward starting position at quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles with the fact that we know that there could be uh, already established star quarterbacks available uh, during this next year, next upcoming offseason uh, that the Eagles with the draft capital they have if they're in love with someone in the draft this year at quarterback that's going to go in the first couple of picks in the uh, selection process. They've got the wherewithal to get there. There's a lot of things that point to the Eagles going a different direction in quarter, at, at the quarterback position in 2022. But it wouldn't be necessary if Jalen Hurts accomplishes certain things this upcoming year. If you're going to actually believe that and and have that philosophy going into this year and evaluating all year long, don't you have to give Jalen Hurts a real shot? And if you're going to give Jalen Hurts a real shot, isn't the offensive line going to basically dictate that? That if he's getting protection, if he's getting time, if Lane Johnson plays like Lane Johnson can and Brooks plays like Brooks can, you can get an actual read on Jalen Hurts. Because if they're not and we're looking at backup offensive linemen all year long, there will be a percentage of people who go, yeah, but what did we really learn about Hurts? He was playing behind a switch. He's offensive line. If they ever get the offensive line right, he could actually play. To give a true test to Jalen Hurts, the Eagles have to believe and root for their offensive line to get back to the levels of 2017-18, correct? <clears throat> Yeah, you would think. And this is another example of, of two sides uh, and, and not making sense necessarily because, you know, we'll go back to last week when we had Mike Garofolo on. And remember that question I asked him is if, you know, complete speculation, if the allegations against Deshaun Watson clear up overnight, how quickly is Howie Roseman on the phone? Mike laughed and said, I think I used the term evaporate. He said before the water does evaporate. That's how quickly he's on the phone. And nobody is plugged in more than that front office than Mike Garofolo. Um, little inside baseball there for you. So, you know, what is the thought process? That that's got that to me it from the outside looking in, it lacks consistency. It lacks consistency. You're saying we gotta we gotta see what we have in Jalen Hurts, but Deshaun Watson is available. Speed dial. You know, to me, the best case scenario, Jody, unquestionably, is Jalen Hurts turns into a good player, a good quarterback, cost-effective deal for at least a, a few more years, really only one before you got to get the extension. But nonetheless. That makes more sense than going out and getting a high-priced guy. That helps you build the back end of the roster. I don't think there's any question of that. Everything in this league comes down to evaluation. They can say whatever they want. You can think whatever you want about a player. I can think whatever I want about a player. What do they really believe of Jalen Hurts and his ceiling as a prospect? That, to me, is the only relevant question and I don't think anybody can answer it because they give out conflicting signals all the time. 
Here's the only thing I will say to that, and I am in lockstep with the way that you just laid it out. And then it picks up, and they evaluate. And how do you go about evaluating if you're the Philadelphia Eagles? Here's what I hope. I hope that they evaluate Jalen Hurts this year on Jalen Hurts this year. That they don't put too much emphasis, both good and bad, on what he did last year. The four games, the big plays that he made, the downside mistakes that he made, the numbers across the board. Yes, we got a little bit of a look at him, which was nice, which was teased us enough to have this situation that we have, that Carson Wentz is no longer here and Jalen's going to get this make or break it, prove it type year. The fact that he played for both Alabama and Oklahoma. I'm not saying you disregard his collegiate career, but to me, it's kind of in the rearview mirror now. To me, the evaluation of Jalen Hurts is all about this year. What he has done previously just got us to where we are right now. And let's wipe the slate clean and just look at him. For those who say, yeah, but he can't. He was just a second round pick. And he was a reach in the second round. Russ, and I could go down a list of quarterbacks, but the one that immediately comes to mind is Russell Wilson. Who is a third round pick? who the Eagles really liked in the third round and didn't get a chance to take because Seattle beat them to it, and the Eagles ended up taking Nick Foles instead in that draft. But you can get a guy. He doesn't have to be a top-five pick, top-ten pick, first-round pick. He can be a second-round pick, no problem. I even thought he was better than where the Eagles drafted him as far as value went. Will they give him that kind of a clean slate to work with this year? Howie Roseman was the guy who made the decision to take him. Jeff Laurie is, at least reportedly, a guy who was involved in that decision. Will it be based on a heavy dose of what Jalen Hurts has done prior to becoming an Eagle and or last year, or will it be based on what he does as soon as Nick Nick Sirianni's camp opens? Honestly, Jody, I don't even think it – I think it has more to do with the other players. And specifically, I'm centering it because I don't think – Aaron Rodgers wants to play here, even if he becomes available. And if he does, he'll be in Denver or somewhere like that. Maybe the Raiders. So put him out of the equation. Russell Wilson, white whale of the Eagles organization. But he is aging. You have to enter that into the equation, plus the expense. Plus, guess what? If they get Julio Jones, I think he's going to be magically happy. Um, And... So take him out of the equation. To me, it comes down to one player. And I've used this term a lot on this show, the FU player. Deshaun Watson's an FU player. It has nothing to do with Jalen Hurts. It has to do with the other player. If Deshaun Watson becomes available, the Eagles are going after him. Purely simple. Jalen Hurts can't do anything about it because they think that much of that particular player. I honestly think it has nothing to do with Jalen Hurts. And I've used that term all the time. There are certain players who are just far and above, and they change the game, so to speak. And not the game on the field. They change the game in the front office. So anything you say, any lip service you give me about evaluating Jalen Hurts, it all stops. It all stops. And you go, F you. Yeah, but you know who's got the ultimate F you power? The aforementioned Roger Goodell, 
who we talked about earlier with Amy well, Trask. No, no matter how good he is, yeah, Roger well, Goodell can go, F you, guess what? The short, you're not playing. No matter I, how much John McMullen talks you up, no matter how much Howie Roseman is no, in love with you, if Jody, I say you can't get on the field, Jody, you we're can't talk, play. We're talking about the stipulation of all if all of that is cleared up. That's what I asked about. If the allegations are cleared up, the suspension's cleared up, I'm saying that's stipulated. Obviously, you can't do anything under the current circumstance. The, the the stipulation is the allegations are cleared up. Maybe Roger Goodell suspends him for six games, whatever, whatever you want to uh, put there. At that point, he's an FU player. There's nothing Jalen Hurts can do. It has nothing to do with Jalen Hurts. It has everything to do with the other play. You know I like a hypothetical as much as anybody else. But here's a problem. We're not dealing with a hypothetical. We're dealing with reality here. And the reports are that they are not going to start deposing witnesses in this ongoing case till after the season's over and done with. So how are we going to come to the part where we say, well, assuming well, everything has worked out, Jody. it's not going to happen. You can't say you like hypotheticals and not go with the hypothetical. I'm saying for whatever reason, look, some people think, uh, Tony Busby is a, a con man. If he is, and he's gotten together this grand conspiracy, that's a hypothetical. It's a, I'm not saying it's going to happen. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying that at all. The more likely, the far more likely scenario is just what you laid out. He's not going to be available this season. But again, if we come back next year, and the same thing is here. He's still the FU player. And that's why I say, what can Jalen Hurts do to get the Eagles off Deshaun Watson? And I and I point you to Mike Garofolo. Basically nothing. Basically nothing. They're on the phone before the water evaporates. No. Uh, he could have a superior season. If I tell you, speaking of hypotheticals, uh, would you say Justin Herbert had a uh, dynamite rookie season last year? Love his him. first year as a starter, which just happened to be his rookie season. Love would you him. say he he was – how would you describe uh, Justin Herbert's season with the Chargers last year? It was a very good season. I think he's got the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in football. Uh, very good. If uh, Jalen Hurts duplicates that this year, is Deshaun Watson still an FU player? Yes. Really, yes. even yes. if Jalen Hurts on a rookie deal does what Justin Herbert did for the Chargers, you'd say, Jalen, yeah, F you, we can get our hands on. Well, let me Watson. say, I think the Eagles think he's an F you player. I think the Eagles think. But I also, it's difficult for me, Jody, because there, there is no world when we talk about hypotheticals where I can imagine Jalen Hurts slinging the football like Justin Herbert. That's mm -hmm. just me. So Agreed. it's difficult for me. But it's difficult for me to see how we can even have a conversation about uh, Deshaun Watson being a uh, an FU player this year. Next year, maybe. This is going to take more than a I year agree. to I sort agree. itself out. That is the so if we're going to talk likely. about the outrageousness of him being an well, FU player this well, year, if we're that would equate to the outrageousness of Justin Herbert, of uh, Jalen Hurts having a Justin if, Herbert. If, if we're going to go down this hypothetical uh 
groundhog hole, rabbit hole, whatever you want to call right. it. If we're going to go, what's more likely to happen? Deshaun Watson uh, uh, allegations evaporating or Jalen Hurts throwing the football like Justin Herbert? Jalen Hurts throwing the football <laughs> like Justin Herbert. No. Both both aren't happening. Both aren't happening. Well, you said which one was more likely. Yeah, okay. it, it's 0.4% is compared to 0.3%. But 0.4 exactly. is Justin Herbert. Is Jalen exactly. Hurts like Justin Herbert? Exactly. Yeah, probably neither one, but uh, I get your point. All right, uh, partner, we'd be out of time. Uh, tomorrow is going to be, from what I understand, a Mac and Mac and a Mac, Mac attack. Mac, Mac, Mac. Tim McManus from ESPN back on Birds 365. Now put that in your uh, uh, calendar. That's big news. Put it in your calendar. Put it in your pipe and smoke it. Just be prepared to take it in tomorrow uh, here on Birds 365. We keep delivering. Mike Sealski today, Amy Trash today. We keep delivering. Love T-Mac. He goes back to my, at the time, 9.50 a.m., now 97.5. Uh, days uh, when I was working across the street. Um, and of course, he does it for ESPN on a day in, day out basis. T Mac, one of the best Eagle reporters. He's going to be with us here tomorrow. Uh, partner, have a good day. You got no Eagle responsibilities? No, today yeah, we're going to we're gonna have some Eagle Zoom interviews today to be determined. So I was going to say, do you have any idea who they're going to be? No, no idea. None. Zero. And Zilch. You you can't put in a request for hey you know we oh you really can put like- in a request and they'll how say, does that go oh, uh, that goes uh, we'll give you who we'll give you that's, that's how I, that goes that's what I kind of figured that's what I kind of knew uh, all right so yes hopefully Johnny has got some uh, stuff from Eagle availability today we will talk about that with Tim McManus tomorrow it will be our pleasure thanks for tuning in hope you enjoyed this edition of Birds Three Sixty Five. If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.